I'm Sylvia Burgos Tofnes, and this is Deep Roots Radio. Every week, my guests help us connect the dots between what we eat and how it's grown because every single food dollar we spend either protects or degrades the environment, produces foods with high nutrition or empty calories, and either helps pay a fair wage or keeps farm workers among the working poor. We get to make that choice every time we push a cart through the grocery store, visit the farmer's market, and eat at a restaurant. I hope you enjoy this interview. Now, many of the people who've been listening to Deep Roots Radio for a while know that my husband Dave and I started our grass-fed beef operation, and it's 100% grass-fed beef, just uh, a few years ago. And I was so fortunate in that as we were beginning, in fact, as we were just kind of walking into the room on this enterprise, I was able to take a uh, grazing school. That's where you attend a a big seminar. You listen to um, experts in the field talk about how do you do this and how do you do it well. Mm -hmm. That happened to have been held in St. Paul, Minnesota, Mm -hmm. right right in our own backyard. backyard. And one of those uh, who was instructing was a gentleman that I have come to respect more and more over the years, um, and that is Cody Holmes. Cody is not only a grass-fed beef guru, really. I mean, he may, he may balk at that, but it's the truth. He's the author of a, a book that has really helped lots of grazers over the years called Ranching Full-Time on three hours a day. But you know, Cody, uh, and the reason why I really kind of um, pay attention to the things that he kind of talks about, one of those reasons is because he doesn't take a look at grass-fed beef farming as a standalone enterprise or thought. It's really about how it works into the whole food system. How does grazing help the soil? How does it rebuild pasture? How does it protect groundwater? How do you graze multiple species together on a farm Mm -hmm. and actually build your farm and make it better by doing that? Hmm. Which is an idea that seems counter. Right. Uncontradictory in a lot of people's minds. And it's the opposite way that uh, agriculture has gone for the last 50 years, which has been to... uh, to increasingly become a one-system farm. Absolutely. So his notion is holism, diversification, Mm -hmm. and uh, seeking, first and foremost, a good quality of life Mm -hmm. for himself, his wife, Donnell, and daughter, Taylor. Those three, actually, who are the the brains and the brawn behind their farm, Rockin' H Ranch. Now, Cody has gone beyond that. So it's not just multi-species grazing, holism, but the notion of how do you actually incorporate more farms and more of your acreage and region into developing this same or working on that same philosophy? Hmm. How, how do you start to gather people around a food hub? And so today, you know, it's, we've, we've interviewed uh, Cody more than three times over the right. last few years. Yep. And today, you know, he's taking his thinking and his actions even further. Good morning, Cody. How are you? Hi, guys. There, I'm doing good. Um, it's uh, uh, The weather's changed. We were had about a, a week and a half of dry weather. And um, we're I'm driving, actually driving through some rain right now. And I'm going to 
want to pull over when I get a chance <laughs> so I can talk to you on the radio. Yes, let's. But, let's... Uh, the weather's great. We've been we've been doing we've been doing really good. The, the livestock are doing great. Actually, I've just found a place to pull over. I'm actually on my way to to our butcher shop to pick up uh, a bunch of uh, meat that we had butchered a, a few weeks ago. I'm coming to a stop now, and it, the rain is just pouring down. And that makes, as you said, Sylvia, that makes us uh, livestock producers very, very happy. So, you know, that was quite an introduction you, you, you gave. Uh, I mean, I, I hope I can live up to that. Oh, my. <laughs> Cody, you are you are a modest man. So let, let me, uh, let's give some the people first a, a little bit of background, if you don't mind, Cody. Could you talk about um, kind of how many acres and what kinds of animals you are actually uh, working with on your ranch? Okay, and I'll try to be brief because I know we only have one day to do this. And um, <laughs> we we have about 1,100 acres, and we are uh, over the years have become a a diversified operation. We run about 300 beef cows, about a thousand meat goats, about 600 uh, um, meat sheep. We have two dairies. We have a, a a Jersey cow dairy and a and a and a goat dairy. We actually have uh, the only great. This is kind of unusual, and and, and part of the reason why we're, we're, I'm out there, you know, in some of the things I'm at, we have uh, farm has the only grade A uh, goat bottling plant in the state of Missouri, which is kind of nuts. You know, you'd think the whole state of Missouri would have, you know, more than one farm that actually bottles um, milk. Uh, I think that's a, just a good example of how far backwards our our uh, food production model has, has gone. We also raise pasture broilers and, and turkeys and uh, laying hens and uh, uh, pasture hogs, and, and we do a significant amount of produce also. Now. All right, so, Cody, it didn't all start that way. I mean, wasn't your first um, concentration on beef? Oh yeah, it definitely didn't start this way. And I've lost all my old cowboy friends because I changed. You know, I'm the I'm the strange old cowboy now. We we ranched 30 years traditionally. All we had was cow calf, and we did most everything traditionally. Sold into the commodity world, and I just woke up one morning. I said, "Enough's enough. I'm not going to be part of that system anymore." I got tired of doing implants. I got tired of vaccinations. Got tired of bailing hay. Got tired of doing all the things and sit sick cattle to a to a feedlot and watching them pump them full of full of chemicals and in my farm full of chemicals and we just we just did a 180 and really truly changed our our complete operation. Now you changed it because of both environmental and financial reasons. Oh yeah, there's no question about it. It was it was both an ecological issue. It was a and you know I, I think. Uh, you know, for 30 years, and this might seem hard to believe by some, hard to understand by some folks out there, but um, in, in my lifetime, I think most of us, uh, um, at least that are halfway trained in agriculture, do really, we have a disconnect between agriculture and food. And I, I really, and again, this is, is kind of hard to believe, but I, I did not see a real connection between what I was doing and food. And, you know, I was raising a commodity, mm. and uh, we're not taught uh, our universities don't teach us that we're actually in food production. I mean, if if they did, who's what sane person would spray the food you're going to feed your children with any with with toxins and 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 uh, do, do raise animals the way that we raise them, food food animals the way that we raise them, if it was actually food. And I think that's part of the disconnect. Mm -hmm. You know, when you put forty thousand. 
40,000 chickens in a barn and, and, you, and you're just doing pushing buttons to feed them and you, you get to the point where you just, uh, you, you know, you can haul out 20, 30 dead animals a day and that, that's considered okay. And, and when you, when you're, you're feeding them rat poison and, and rat poisoning to keep the coccidiosis under control because you can't, you can't raise 30, 40,000 animals side to side and not expect extreme health issues. So you go to these, to the, to these, uh, alternative methods of, of animal husbandry, which really are not animal husbandry at all. And you get immune. If you, you get immune, uh, the rancher and the farmer can get immune and, and completely, um, um, beside himself and, and forget that this is actually food. These are actually living animals. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a big disconnect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I, I sort of went back to that notion of you had actually started with, with beef in mind and really have, oh man, it's, it's called, it's not even a 180. It feels like an inside out of um, your change in philosophy on, on what matters in farming. And you've taken it to that multi-species grazing. And I suspect that people thought you were kind of nuts because you would deplete your your pastures and really hurt your soils. And what have you found out to be the case? Oh, that's a that's a whole other chapter. You, you know, we, we went from 1% organic matter to over 7 and 8% organic matter on most of our pastures. And we did that by removing all chemical toxin application of all kinds and uh, bunching these animals together. The 1,100 acres has about 150 different pastures, and we move, excuse me, we move these animals from pasture to pasture about every day. And we're doing a lot of stopping. We're doing a lot of spreading of manure and urine. We're stopping carbon. We're stopping this tall grass. You know, when you've got 150 pastures and you're resting 151 days because you're not coming around to that, at least if you're grazing once a day, you're not coming around to that, that 150th pasture till you know, that's uh, five months. So five months of grass, if you didn't mow your front yard in five months, it would be waist high. Mm-hmm. So when we, when we bring these big groups of animals around and we're, start, and we're into that new pasture that hasn't been grazed for five months, we're going to stop in on a lot of tall grass, and that tall grass is carbon. And that's what that's that's the basis of improving soil is, is getting carbon back in the, getting back into the into the soil surface and, and that's what that's that's the basis behind uh, making improvements uh, through uh, diversification on on a, on a livestock property uh, farm. There's no question about it. You know, one of the things that that um, I get in the way of pushback when I talk to people about rotational grazing and holism and really taking a look at a very big system. It's not just about the beef. It's about everything around it, including the kind of life that my family wants, our, our core values. I get a lot of pushback. Um, one of the, the points that, that is argued is that, oh, Sylvia, you know, you can do this on this little mini scale. You know, you're just kind of doing a pampering of your cattle. You're never going to be able to take it to scale. You're never going to be able to feed more than a few people. What's your response to something like that? Oh, yeah, that, that's a very, very typical um, um, attitude that, that we see. And, and I think, you know, we have – there's there, there, and, 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 and I don't want to isolate anyone, but there, there are two, two, two issues there. And one is economy of scale, and, and you know, and, and that's, that's, a real, that's a real issue. And uh, it, it, it is it, it is probably uh, unless we're talking about subsistence living, um, and, and, it, and it's re- it, on that same note, 
it's it's very easy to make a lot of claims as long as the person that owns a few cows has got a full-time job in town paying the bills. So that that's hard that that's hard for that person to have credibility in the world of agriculture. And when we're talking about sustainability or substance living, you know, the idea of of, of, uh, of a family feeding itself on 40 acres of mule, three chickens, and a rooster, you know, that that, that that's just that's that's substance. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, he can grow a garden, and he can milk a milk a goat, and he can gather the, the eggs from four chickens, and 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 survive if if he worked somewhere for a long time to put up enough capital to buy that farm to begin with. And that and that's and that that's a contradiction in terms almost, but it's also reality. And and I think we're seeing between that between that hobby that hobby farmer and that substance farmer, there's there's a lot of those type of people that uh, that 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 are well intentioned, but that's um, that's looked at from a negative from a negative as from the side of people that are actually in the business of food production. Now, mm-hmm. my farm is in the business of food production. We don't make we don't make any money off the farm. That is, what the farm produces is what our family lives on, and we are in food production. Meaning, we're not just substance. We're not just feeding our family. We are feeding many, many, many hundreds of families um, a, a, across our region, and that is that is food production. That's closer to what uh, what 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 the university is has in mind when they're talking about agriculture. And remember that disconnect that I mentioned earlier between agriculture and food production. And what we need to do is combine those two. Uh, We need to combine the ideas of food production and agriculture with the economy of scale, the economies of scale that does it sustainably, ecologically sound, and, and, and all the, all the things that are around the, around the periphery of, of those issues, and that that requires a complete new food model, mm-hmm. and that's that's what Real Farm Foods, the name of my company, has been moving towards. I didn't know I was moving in that direction, but but now that we are deep into that that uh, that that terminology or that 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 idea that agriculture or food production can the model can be changed and it can be it can be a sustainable sustainable model that will satisfy those inquiries that you're talking about when when people point their finger and say that that operation cannot be cannot feed in any significant number of people but but we have to look at it from a business perspective and and and, and yes sometimes sometimes a business uh, model will start out as someone's hobby in their backyard and 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 it can move into a it can eventually if that's the intention move into a sustainable ecologically sound business model and that that is that is what's getting to causing some conversation out there and that may be what you're referring to I'm not sure but mm-hmm. there it, it there there can be a conversation that can be valid from both those points right um, and it's a, it does it does get a little bit involved. And it certainly does, because you do have to take things up to scale in order to have both profitability on the farm and uh, in order to feed and meet the demand for the kinds of great food that that you are producing. And that's what intrigued me, I think, Uh, Cody, when I saw, excuse me, a Facebook post that you put online a little bit a while ago, not that long ago. And it was, uh, this is, I, I kind of printed it out, it's called, Uh, You wrote, calling all producers. 
Our Real Farm Food Hub meeting for the month is tomorrow here at the farm. Message me or comment if you need specific directions. And I thought, all right, you've moved beyond your farm alone to take a look at that notion of scale and and are, are working with others to build a food hub is what I gathered from this. Can you describe what it is that you're doing? Oh, sure. I, I, I'd love to. And, and, you know, what happened probably a little over a year ago with our with our direct marketing, we have about 31 different grocery stores that we sell into every week. We have two two large hospitals that we sell into and, and our home delivery and several different other marketing avenues for the products that we raise on our farm. We got to the point about a year ago where what we were raising on our 1,100-acre farm was not enough production to satisfy the market. And that, that is the market that has that is uh, that has moved that is making a, a, a big great big steps to move away from industrial food. That is these stores and these hospitals and our other customers. They want pesticide free, GMO free, clean uh, uh, the use agriculture the use of agriculture practices that are that are uh, that that can, that use use uh, humane animal husbandry techniques that, that don't poison the earth, the soil, the water, and, and make humans sick. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be certified organic, but it needs to, the food needs to be represented by these practices that, that, that I just described. Mm-hmm. And we were, that, that demand uh, in our region, and I think it goes without saying almost every region in the United States, is, is far out, 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 outpacing the supply. So what we did, we uh, we came up with this with this concept, and as far as we know, no one has no one else in the nation is is doing this, and sometimes we're a little bit frightened about it ourselves because we are entering a new territory. Um, what we're, what we're doing, we're taking uh, our farm as as an example, which is the food hub that we that we have now, uh, which is a certified kitchen, and and all the animals and the produce that we're raising in our greenhouses. And we're expanding that not by not by ownership of land of ourselves, but we're inviting other farmers in our in our community to grow for for real farm foods. So mm. if you if you're a if you're a farmer, uh, you know, five miles down the road from my farm, and you wanna you wanna try your hand at growing tomatoes, well, go ahead and grow as many tomatoes as you can, following our growing uh, protocol, which is basically organic. Um, uh, when those tomatoes get ripe, uh, following our protocol, package those tomatoes, box them up, bring us, bring them to our hub, which is just a building on our farm. We'll load it in with our produce, and we take it to our stores and our hospitals, and we satisfy that demand, which is growing, growing quite rapidly. And what happened, which is really kind of interesting, Sylvia, my phone's ringing off the hook by other farmers. And you know, I'm a pretty simple-minded farmer. Lived here in this community my entire life. I really only anticipated a handful of farmers in my in my general vicinity to, to call and, and inquire. What started happening, I started getting phone calls that were, uh, uh, you know, 100 or more miles away hmm. uh, surrounding our market, which is Springfield, Missouri. And I'm, I'm about, my farm's about 45 miles on, the, on one side of, away from Springfield on the east side. And the other three sides, meaning the, the south, the west, and the north side, I started getting phone calls from uh, farmers, you know, an hour on the other side of Springfield. 
So so it didn't make a lot of sense for a farmer, and, and our market is primarily Springfield. So it, it didn't make a lot of sense if I'm going to if I'm going to bring a farmer in that's going to join our hub and say grow those tomatoes for us. If he lives on the other side of Springfield an hour, he would have to drive an hour an hour around Springfield and then another hour all the way to my farm. I would have to box those tomatoes up and take them back an hour back to Springfield. It didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So, wow, all of a sudden I woke up one morning and this idea jumped into my mind. Instead of having one hub mm-hmm. servicing a metropolitan area, which which obviously is a problem because all farmers are not right around my my farm or my hub, we created this, this concept of mini hubs or micro hubs. So what we're doing is we're, we're um, creating – it, it, in, in, it, it, at this particular time, uh, four different what we call micro-hubs. And all a micro-hub is, let's say we go to that farm that's an hour on the other side of our of our market. Mm-hmm. Uh, a micro-hub is simply a loading dock, a covered loading dock, and a pavilion. And if you can picture maybe a 1,200-square-foot a, a building, a 30-by-40 pavilion with a loading dock, and three times a week, the farmer. Let's say there's twenty. There's twenty farmers in on, in that direction. Say south of Spring of Springfield, our market. Um, three times a week, they're bringing their tomatoes to that drop-off point. We will send one of our delivery trucks to that to that micro hub, which is which is which is geographically situated uh, close to our market. We will pick up those uh, those tomatoes, and rather rather than bringing them back to our farm. Those tomatoes will go directly into the metropolitan area where our markets are, where their stores are. So now we, if you can visualize four different micro-hubs around a metropolitan area, each micro-hub servicing the, the farmers that are in that, in, in that general vicinity. Uh, a farmer is a farmer. He doesn't, want to, he doesn't want to be a truck driver. He doesn't want to be a salesman. But the market for his product is growing faster than what we are growing it for. So we, we, our, our system of micro-hubs allows the farmer to do what he does best, grow those tomatoes, mm-hmm. let the farm foods uh, package and transport, market, and distribute those, those tomatoes for that farmer. And then that releases the farmer to do more, more, more farming. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this whole system is about economy of scale. Why have one central uh, uh, food hub? And and, 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 and and you know, and a lot of times these 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 large food hubs are located in the city where mm-hmm. there are no farmers. And the the failure rate is really really high. It is. And I think part of that problem is it, there's not there's not a well thought out plan. You know, food production is agriculture. Food production happens on farms, not in a city. Nobody has come up with this idea to to uh, to amalgamate. Farmers by region and uh, uh, accumulate their products uh, in that region, and then transport those directly to the metropolitan area, primarily where the markets are. And and, and, and I know I'm kind of rambling on, but I get really excited about this, and it's a it's it's very active with Real Farm Foods right now, and it's it's really it's really taking over our lives. And I think it's going to be a a, a new food model because if we if we can do this in Springfield. There's nothing to keep us from going to Kansas City, St. Louis, Chicago, and, and forming these, these units, this unit of micro-hubs around a metropolitan area, not in the city, but on the outskirts of the city where the farmers are actually growing the food. So I'm curious, Cody, do you find yourself now reconnecting with your uh, old farmer friends? Uh, 
it sounds like this is being well received. Yeah, it, it, it's it's being well received by the by the market because they're getting products that they that are, that are very hard to find, meaning organic type the foods that we talked about. Uh, the the young and the, not necessarily always the young, but the, the young and progressive uh, farmers or people that are wanting to become farmers see the benefit in it. Uh, consequently, uh, when I go down to my local cafe uh, where all the old farmers like me are hanging out, I don't even bring it. I don't even bring the topic up because it's it's still taboo in in, in industrial agriculture, and this this whole idea of farmers producing food is by and large is still a strange concept to most farmers. It's so interesting. You know, it sounds like a very large management challenge, uh, Cody. As you, as you said, it's kind of, it got bigger than you had imagined, faster probably than you had thought. Um, how are you dealing with that? Oh, yeah. It's really, it is, it is really wild. We, we formed a, we formed another corporation, actually, and uh, just basically added the word hub on Real Farm Foods. So Real Farm Foods is a hub, now a food hub. We've got a board of directors made up of farmers. And this is farmer-run. You know, this is not, uh, as, and I don't want to stand anybody again, but this is one of my, the secretary of my of my uh, organization says this is not run by the alligator shoe crowd. This is run by farmers. Farmers mm-hmm. produce food. And, and farmers are going to make the best decisions with food when they have all the when they have all the issues and, and, and are educated on those issues. And I, I agree I agree with what he's talking about. Um, and I think we're going to see as these as these new food models are developed and that are actually uh, engineered by the food producer. I think we're going to see I think we're going to see some changes. I think we're going to see some, some more successes with uh, with these with the food hubs as they're designed more around reality instead of uh, instead of some um, non-agricultural entity trying to take advantage of a high-priced organic market because that that's that's short-lived and you know if if, if it's only doctors and lawyers and, and I, I know again I don't want to pigeonhole anybody but if it's only high-income people that are involved in, in an organic movement it's probably going to be very short-lived because it's only someone's fantasy uh, mm-hmm. this is this is food production. This is agriculture. Life depends on it. Hopefully everyone can, can access three meals a day. So it's something that each and every person has to deal with. And it, it, it will not re- – if, if it's a, an attempt to remain a, uh, a niche market forever, it will be not a niche market forever. It will be short-lived, and, and we will be forced to go back to the uh, industrial agricultural model of, of poisoned food. And we don't want to do that. So we want to create a food model. That um, and something that really got me to thinking this way, you know, we were we were talking about trying to change the food model and get good, clean, pesticide-free food to the people, and we were trying to trying to do it in, in some roundabout ways. But there's everything that that's going on in, in, in food production right now is in marketing is not bad. There's just a few bad parts of it. The our, our grocery store chains that are that are connected to each other and they have a good system in place. And, and uh, human beings, uh, the civilization is, is in the practice and habits of going to the grocery store and buying food. Well, let's just get good food in those grocery stores. Let's mm-hmm. use the, some of the infrastructure that's already there. All we got to do is change the farming problem. The problem is out here on the, in, in agriculture, on the farms. That's where the food is being, being raised uh, in, in an unsafe manner. Once we fix that end of this model, 
uh, and start because the grocery stores they want our food. They want good, clean, pesticide-free food because their customers are saying they want it. And it's the biz- It's in, they're in the business. The grocery stores are in the business of satisfying customers. So this is really uh, a, a change of, of food production uh, out here on the farm. And I think it's going to, uh, due, due to the, some of the things we talked about about economies of scale, I think this is a is a new idea that um, we're putting in place, and we're seeing it work. Wow. We just need some time. It, it is a very big management issue. There's no question about it. We expect to have about at least 150 farmers on board by the end of this year. Wow. Well, that's fantastic, Cody. You know, we've run out of time, which is not unusual when I'm talking to you, Cody, because there's so much good good things to cover. If people want to learn more, where can they find information? Oh, I'm plastered all over social media, it seems like, these days. You can go to my my website is uh, realfarmfoods.net, www.realfarmfoods.net. Um, if you Google Cody Holmes or go Google Real Farm Foods, are the first thing that comes up, easily accessible. I'm happy to talk to anybody. Uh, just hopefully I have time to call back. Great. Yeah, get you. Well, Cody, thank you once again. Uh, thank you for taking the time to pull over on the road so that you could chat with us on Deep Roots Radio. And I hope we get a chance to chat again. Thank you, Sylvia. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye, Cody. Bye, Cody. Visit my website, bronxtobarn.com, to download this and past interviews, to learn about my farm, and to reserve 100% grass-fed beef. We deliver to Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks.